Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we've been systematically discussing many of the common fears that hinder our freedom and living out the call God has placed on our life. You've heard me say, and I'll say it again, life is much too short and we have too much to do, too many hearts to heal and lives to change for any of us to live enslaved. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery, and I'm an author, a speaker, a ministry leader who's passionate about living in Christ's freedom and doing all I can to help others do the same. Today's episode is going to be longer than normal, but we feel like this is an issue that warrants the extra time. Our world is in a state of anxiety right now. Some are afraid of the unknown, Others are afraid for their lives. Our world is afraid. And as we've talked about before, fear often triggers a fight or flight reaction. And and sometimes both simultaneously and sometimes in rapid succession. And so we're going to be talking about some of the issues that are related to racism in our country. And today I have a friend joining me, Rabrina Reddle. Hi, Rabrina. Hello. Thank you for having me. Rabrina is a real, raw, no-filters kind of girl. She went from an army brat to a military veteran. She's a wife to Troy, a mother of two teenagers, and she served in women, children's, and middle school ministries. She wrote a Bible study for middle school girls based on identity in Christ. She's the executive administrative assistant for the anti-sex trafficking organization, I've Got a Name. Rabrina is the friend that you call to walk alongside you in the hard, in the painful places of life, as well as the joyful one. She does know how to laugh. Her passions include mocha coffee, so we have that. I don't do mocha, but I love coffee. And dark chocolate, time with family and friends, and telling others of God's love, mercy, and grace. Rabrina is a is a member of the Holy Love Ministry team, and she's a black woman who has experienced racism and oppression in the church and in in the world at large, really, and who also is raising children who have experienced this issue. So she's going to be talking about what she's experienced. She's going to be talking about what she's learned as a daughter of Christ and Bible study leader, just about dealing with tough issues and living out our identity. And she's going to be helping us both. We're both hoping that this conversation more than anything is an example of how you can hold. So I'm a white woman. She's a black woman. We're both daughters of Christ. And we're hoping that as we engage in this conversation, that maybe we provide an example of how our brothers and sisters can engage in healthy and maybe hard conversations, but they can still be healthy and they can be healing and they can be filled with faith. Now we've known each other. We, we connected so, so quickly. Yes, we did. We did. We met at the word source writers conference. I don't remember if it was 2017 or 2018. I think it was Uh, even before then because it was, uh, I think so, because I think it was just when Holy Love Ministries, which I have been like, I, I pestered her and pestered her until she joined our ministry and I won. Woo-hoo. 
It was God's timing. It was, but I think it was, so I, I think it might've been 2016. I don't know. Anyway, we've, we've, we connected quickly through our, our connection as writers. Yes. I think that we bonded through that. Yes. And um, I think I sat at your table for, it was one of those 10, 15 minute critiques and uh, just kind of throwing my ideas around to you. And then we just got started chatting and we found out we had a lot in common and um, we were both uh, moms of kids with learning disabilities. And I know you've talked to your daughter or she's had her on your podcast before about some of her struggles with dyslexia um, and, that, and that there was a late a diagnosis for her. Uh, I also had a late diagnosis for my daughter, uh, ADD. She wasn't, I think, 10th grade before uh, it came uh, to show. And then also that she had non-learning, non-verbal learning disorder, uh, which affects picking up social cues and that sort of thing. And my son is also diagnosed with ADD. And he was diagnosed a little earlier because his showed very quickly. So by fourth grade, he was diagnosed um, with ADD. And uh, he, he later on, he was diagnosed with a learning disorder in math. And turns out, while Ashley was here, and Lincoln studying at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, you know, touch base with her, and she's great at math. So she came and tutored my son. Speaking of my my daughter, and that connection we have as as human beings as we form relationships. I know my daughter is torn up right now with mm-hmm. because she loves Robrina's kids deeply, and so she's seeing everything that's going on through their mm-hmm. eyes. And she's a little bit of a mama hen, even though she's not that much older. Yeah. She's protective over them. Right. And so that creates a lot of fear and anxiety in her and she wants to fix it. And when she feels like she can't fix it, she wants to shut down. She told her husband, don't tell me anything on the news if I can't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he... well, She did reach out to me and she did tell us that she was praying for us and praying for Satchel and Savannah in particular and hurt for them that they even had to experience uh, these things. So uh, yeah, that was uh, very thoughtful and very much appreciated. You know, that that's a great point, Robrina, because I will say as a white woman, I don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And I, I am afraid I will respond in ignorance in a hurtful way. Mm-hmm. And because I do, I have like, I, I have foot in mouth disease and I have mm-hmm. sin in me and I have pride and all of those things. And so I can become fearful. And I know I've heard that from others who care deeply and don't like what we've seen <clears throat> and feel like it's our role as Christians to speak against oppression yes. and abuse, but don't know how. And I love what you said, like, just reaching out and saying, I see you and I care and I'm praying, we forget how powerful that is. Yes. Yes. Uh, one of the women that I met up with last night, we, um, during COVID, we started this little meeting of four black women. We get together, check in with each other, see how we're doing. And of course it was very, uh, it was intense check-in last night, but, uh, those women are so wonderful and we were still laughing and giving each other, you know, a hard time. But she said that someone reached out to her that she had worked for a long time ago and she worked for him for a really long time. And she read the text and it was so beautiful. It literally brought me to tears. He said, you know, I see you. I hear you. I'm here for you. I'm sorry in my complicity, uh, you know, whether I knew I was complicit or not. 
it, it was just so beautiful. He he put a prayer over her family of um, protection and, and being able to uh, live uh, the life that uh, he's been able to live just this, this normal, regular life. And, uh, we just all thought that was just so touching, you know, just, just a reach out. And I've had a few of my friends, you know, do the same reach out and just let me know that they care for, they care, they love me, they see me and seeing is huge. When you tell someone I see you, yeah, just to be seen and to know that you are cared for and heard. Yes. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about, sometimes we don't, like when we see things like in our news or, or whatever, and we don't understand post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. I, and we don't understand really the, the you know, I love, you gave a beautiful example or a beautiful analogy to me in one of our conversations where when we are speaking to someone who, you know, a person of color right now. And it's like they have a burn, an open burn, and so everything hurts, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe yes. you can explain that analogy a little better. Uh, yeah. So, like, uh, sometimes you may not mean offense. That may not be your intent, but impact over intent. And so sometimes you have to, you do have to think about how you present things to people and how you say it. And try not to rationalize, don't stand in defense, that sort of thing. Because it is, what we're feeling now is we're tender. And just the tiniest touch, you know, when you do have that burn, you jerk your arm back because it hurts, that tiniest touch. And so that will probably be the response. They will jerk back or remove from you because we're so tender right now. Uh, This seems recent to many people, but Mm -hmm. this is hundreds of years, to be honest with you. And especially going back, even Rodney King, going that far back, it's just every time since it's been able to be videoed and still not having anything done or still not being believed. uh, Yeah. It put us in a very tender spot. So, Let's talk about that, just about the buildup of hurt, the buildup of fear, the buildup of just so much emotion. And for me, as a white woman, I don't see much. I really don't. But for the most part, I'm pretty removed. I do think white people need to understand there's a reason you don't see it. Because it doesn't doesn't happen to you. Yes. Right. Right. (laughs) But that doesn't make it not real. Exactly. It means that, that we, ha- and I think we have to, so anyway, my daughter said, well, mom, I saw it all the time because she had a best friend growing up who was black and he was a black male. And so mm-hmm. here's a, a white girl and a black male and they're hanging out and they're going to, you know, movies and all these things. She said, mom, I saw it all the time. Mm-hmm. We got it all the time. And so her reality, and I think that's what's important is her reality is different through connection. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That is very important. When you have someone in your life that you are connected to and you see what they're going through, you see people approach them differently than you are approached, it it does wake you up. That is your wake-up call. And it makes you, I, I think for a lot of people, it embarrasses them. It makes them embarrassed and angry uh, to know, I. 
I did not know that this was still happening. If you are a person of color and you have been dealing with this the majority of your life, you can pick up on it pretty quickly. Um, there are some people with the covert racism, they have codes that they use, but we pick up on codes because it's in your body language, it's in your eye contact and um, or lack thereof. So uh, yeah, it, I do believe that when you're connected to someone, you begin to see those things and then it, be, it begins to have you ask the questions or to me, you should ask the questions of your friend. I'm, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. What, what was that like? How did it make you feel? I know how it made me feel. And how did it make you feel? Just to show some care and not just ignore it or, or sweep it under the rug. Because there's no, for us, there's no sweep, sweeping under the rug. For us, we, we just have to deal with it. And so if you're a friend, it would be helpful if you would engage in conversation in a way that is uh, kind and empathetic uh, to the person. Mm-hmm. And I think too, so you're, you talk about like, if we have a friend who is, who is experiencing abuse and oppression and who has, and then we can play, if we have not experienced that, we can play a part as a bridge builder. And, and I want to explain what I mean by that in my, in my journey group as an example, it is a completely white journey group. I love my journey group. So I don't, I'm not saying anything against them, but I was just thinking about this. Like we don't have a person of color in our group to give the perspective of color to our group. Right now. I'm hoping that, uh, that my friends are engaging and have friends, have a diversity of friends. But I saw something on, on Facebook the other day, someone had made a comment, like we had the best race relations. I don't remember what date she gave, but like they had this good race relations at this particular time. I remember wondering, my, my initial thought was from whose perspective, like, where are you getting that perspective? Have you engaged to ask, or was that just a silent period? Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. I, I would say we want to sit at the table. And in order for you to have those conversations, you have to have someone with that perspective at that table because you only get your side. You don't get the other side. And I think that's part of the issue of us feeling like we're not being heard and also not being believed uh, because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And for you to assume I have been told, oh, it's all in your head. Oh, that you're just sensitive. And, oh, I don't believe that happened. Or, well, maybe, maybe this, you know, she was doing this. And it's just like, I don't need to hear any excuses. I don't need to hear defenses. I just need you to sit there with me, engage in that conversation of what's going on. How, how do you feel about this? Um, what are the hurts behind it? You know, I would rather have a conversation instead of you running from it because you just don't want to deal with it when I have to deal with it. I have no choice. And so if I don't feel like my friend is going to be able to engage, then I don't, that connection that I thought we had is very surface. It becomes a very surface friendship. I, I know I cannot go deep with you.
let's talk about the courage to sit in our friend's pain. Because I do think just listening to people's trauma, listening to their hurt, listening to their experiences can trigger a fear response in the listener that leads them to shut down or leads them to shut down the conversation, to deny the issue. I was speaking with a friend and and she is a black woman and I was speaking to her about what was going on. She said, I'm surprised people are at, or she was talking to her father and her father had said, well, why are they surprised? Mm. And, and I said, well, it's just that now we can't not deal with it. Like what we saw in that video, it just, in my mind, my mind went like immediately to Nazi Germany. Like it was just, it was that kind of, of blatant, obvious, uh, hatred. There was no way I could explain it. There was no way I could talk out of it. It was in my face. This is what it looks like. But then she said, and we were talking about like, why are people struggling? I said, we don't like to deal with pain. We don't like to deal with conflict. We don't like to feel uncomfortable and we don't like to be convicted. And when I first, Rebrina, you and I, when we first talked about having this podcast, I had so many emotional reactions and I wanted to hide in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking like, maybe I'll just hide in my bedroom until August. Like, let's just do that and turn off Facebook and turn off TV. And, and God really challenged me on that, that first of all, that was a privileged response Mm -hmm. because I could just remove, right? Right. And go in my own little world. And that's, but that's not a Christian response. Right. And, and then he also challenged me and it was about a two day period to sit in my discomfort and to really break it down. What was I really feeling? Why was I feeling? And there was so much, there was so much involved. I mean, I, evil is oppressive. Like if you really feel God's heart, it is. And I think sometimes he lets us feel his pain for mm-hmm. others when they're experiencing right. pain and that's overwhelming. But part of it, Robrina, and I think this is important for us to touch on today. I was convicted. I was mm-hmm. convicted and I didn't want to be convicted. And here's what I was convicted by. You and I have had race hasn't been a huge part of our conversations, but I've heard your pain. Mm-hmm. And I have other friends where I've heard their pain. I've heard their story. So why did it take this incident for me to actively engage. Why was it easy for me to mentally dismiss before? Mm-hmm. And if these were my children, and I guess it goes back to that connection, right? The deeper our connection to those who are suffering, the greater our courage to, to fight with them. Yes. Yes, I think that the video with George Floyd and the abuse of power, and then for me, the video of Ahmed Arbery basically being hunted down as he's going for a jog, uh, that one really got me. Um, It was very reminiscent of ancestral um, pain and the generational sin in our country. Uh, yes, both of them really got to me, but I, but for some reason, the jog and the, the hunting him down, just, it was disturbing and repulsive and literally I felt sick to my stomach and I have a son 
And I have, you know, we have to have these conversations with our children that I don't think most white people have to have with their children. And being, you know, they hang out with children of different races. My, both of my kids do. And I have to talk to my son about at this time, when it's dark outside, you can't be in such and such area. You, even though, you know, okay, we're going to the playground or whatever. No, you can't, you can't be over there. You know, so it's just like there's certain things that we have to talk to them about how you hold something in your hand when you're in the store. So people won't think you're stealing. Uh, if you're pulled over, make sure you have everything out and your hands on the steering wheel. Just so, so many conversations that we have to have that now we call the talk. It used to be when you talked to your kids about the birds and the bees was the talk. Now we're having conversations about how to keep your life as the talk. And um, I would agree that when you do hear such things, um, as a person of privilege in the United States, it is hard to hear. It's tough and yes, convicting because like you said in your world, this doesn't happen. I don't, I don't have to have this conversation. I don't have to deal with this. And when I hear this, uh, for the people who truly get it and care, they hurt for, they hurt for you. But even though they hurt for you, they're still not sure how to express it with you or allow you uh, to express it. But I know Proverbs 1, 5 says, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. And so it's like the listening part is extremely important. And whatever you do, just the listening, that's the good, um, the beginning of beginning of the understanding. And then even if you are convicted, as you stated, you didn't want to be convicted, you want to be uncomfortable. These are uncomfortable days and we will have very uncomfortable conversations and you have to sit in the discomfort. I am in uncomfortable situations all the time because the majority of the time when I enter the room, I am the only person of color or the only black person. And so for me, discomfort is part of my life. That's what I know. But I can't run from every situation. I go to a school board meeting. I'm the only black person in there. I mean, just like regular things I just have to deal with because I need to get the information I need or, you know, whatever it may be. So discom- these are uncomfortable days and it's good to be uncomfortable and it's good for con- conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And as long as you know the difference, mm-hmm. conviction leads to um, the glorification of God. It leads to becoming more like Jesus. It leads to the eyes and heart being open. It leads to the sins of our heart being exposed and repentance. And in that, we are able to work more for the Lord and further his kingdom more. And so it it is an uncomfortable thing, but conviction is a good thing. Amen. And I love, I do want to touch on, I would love to touch on ways for those of us. So for our, our friends of color who right now are in a state of terror, I would, I don't want to end this conversation without giving some practical ways that they can self-care during this time and, and deal with just the increased fear and anxiety that I'm sure is going on. So I do want to make sure we address that. But I I love what you said about when we understand the difference between conviction and condemnation, that really comes from understanding we are in grace, in Christ. And so if you struggle with 
with that sense of, of opening your heart for continual conviction by Jesus Christ so he can continually mold you and transform you and, and change your worldview and remove false thinking, then I encourage you to go back and listen to my episode. There were two on the courage to live in grace. And so we mm. do need to come at this from a place of grace so that we can then be people of grace. Mm-hmm. And and so we need to understand our position in Christ and go with the victory and authority of that. And we need to understand our unity in Christ as well. I I love Paul and I've been really, I've, I've been obsessed with him for a really, really long time. If you've gone to any of my talks, you know, like he is my go-to mentor, not mentor, but model a lot of times. And I love what he said. It was Ephesians 3.1, where he basically said, I am a prisoner for you. Gentiles. Now, at the time in ancient history, that was the racial conflict at the time between Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I had to sit on that for a minute and I had to ask myself, to what lengths am I going willing to go to to speak against abuse? Mm-hmm. And and so I really had to sit in the discomfort of because honestly, like I don't know how people will perceive my words. I might make people angry unintentionally. I might, and this is what's really, really hard and why I'm, I love Robrina so, so much is I, my biggest fear is that I will hurt a friend and lose a friend, hurt a friend who's already hurting and lose a friend. And Mm -hmm. so I, my reaction is to want to pull back. And Mm -hmm. I think if you're in that place, I think just, speak that. Like my daughter, she, she's so wise. And she's like, well, mom, I said, I was telling her, I said, I'm really afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt her. I'm afraid I'm going to lose a friend. I'm afraid. What? She's like, well, just tell her mom. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And so I had a conversation with Rabrina and I said, Rabrina, I am afraid. And she said, I get that. And, and we had a conversation together where I said, if I hurt you, or if I say something hurtful, please tell me. So let's talk about the courage too. When your friend hurts you, when your your friend who doesn't understand the issues and and says something and you know that you know they didn't mean to say it but it's still a hurtful comment so let's talk about the courage to speak truth because truth and love have to go together right yes yes well i have a verse here james 5:16 therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective and i think that it is important to go to your friend. It is important that if your friend hurts you, that you should tell them. The thing is, a person doesn't know the offense unless you tell them the offense. Now, sometimes we think, well, you should know. You should know that that would have been a hurtful comment, or you should know how I would feel. But they probably don't know. If they haven't had the similar experiences or... You know, the life experiences that you've had, more than likely, they're not going to be able to pick up on that. Uh, so it is important to go to a friend and say, hey, you know, when you say even sometimes you have to take time, though, because I'm one of those people, I have to process. So I have to take time, sit with it a little bit, and it might be a few days, pray over it, and then go to my friend and say, hey, when you said that, that was really hurtful to me. Now, if a friend is apologetic and sincere, then we work towards that repair. But if a friend is, well, I, I'm sorry, you took it that way. First of all, that's not an apology. 
we that we have a hard time apologizing. I, people aren't quite sure how to apologize. I think nowadays there's no "you took it" and there's no "but." Those two should not be in an apology. An apology should be just be "I'm so sorry I hurt you when I said that," and even if it wasn't your intent, but you know, please forgive give me. I I will do better and please hold me accountable. Then that friend knows. Oh okay, this is sincere and I know she didn't mean this and she wants me to tell her in the future if she says anything like that again, because that's training. You don't, you have to practice not saying things that you're accustomed to saying because that is what was scripted in your head as a child or your surroundings or whatever. And so, I mean, that's happened uh, to me. You know, people have corrected me. And once I hear that, I'm like, oh, I I didn't even know I was doing that. And so uh, it is important to be able to tell your friend yet yeah, why, what the comment was and why it hurt. So for those of us who, like me, have foot and mouth disease and will inevitably say things that are hurtful, even though that's, that's not our intent, when we hear someone come, that to, come to us and say, okay, that hurt me, or I'm concerned, maybe even if it didn't hurt them personally, I'm concerned that statement will hurt someone. Mm-hmm. First, like Rabrina said, intent doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. My intent does not, if, if she feels the pain, it doesn't really matter what my intent was it that what matters is that she was hurt now once we deal with her hurt if i if if for healing i need to explain so that she understands like okay that was something trained in you that was an ignorant comment that was you know so if if that conversation needs to occur then have that conversation but first you that's separate from yes. the hurt it's i yes. hurt you and then here's the thing that's been hard for me to see we don't get to decide what causes someone else pain? Like yes. we don't get to decide if that was hurtful or not. Right. And I, yes. I've seen that a lot on Facebook where this, this, I, what I have seen, it's felt like where we have made those who have been hurt defend their hurt and explain yes. why they're hurt. And, and I think there's so many, I think some of that's pride. I think a lot of it's pride. I think a lot of it's ignorance. I think some of it's fear. We it convicts us, right? It's like, okay, if I if I admit that I saw this, then I'm culpable. And so we don't want that. And just, you know, and we don't like to feel uncomfortable. We've talked about all that, but but we don't have the right to tell somebody else what has caused them pain. And I and I had this a, a while back. I was listening to a friend, or I'm sorry, my daughter speak with a friend, and the whole conversation was about why my daughter shouldn't have been hurt. And and let me tell you the intense anger I felt as a mom, because I think we need to bring it back to the level of a mom and a mom's Mm -hmm. reaction. I had to get in my office, close my door, and close my ears. Like my mama bear rose up so strong that I wanted to go talk to this other woman because not only had she deeply hurt my daughter, but she was compounding the hurt by denying the hurt and trying to justify it. So let's talk about mama bear reactions. Well, let's go to this verse, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And that, that is a part of that apology. So it should not be, that apology really has nothing to do with you. So um, when you talk about that rising up, that like you 
called it the mama bear, but um, for some people, it's just like, I'm just so, uh, most of the time when a person's feeling that way and they have some sort of anxiety and it's manifesting itself in anger or sadness. So they might become angry or they might cry, uh, but they're vulnerable. And although it's probably affecting you when you see that, you have to allow that person to have that expression. And then if you need to come back to that person and just check in on them, like, I'm just checking on you. I want just want to know how you're doing. I care for you. I love you. That is much more helpful than re- reacting to that anger in the, in the same way. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see that how you were upset. I've had to stay out of my, some of my daughter's issues too. And, but she'll come back to me and talk to me about it. And we talk through it. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times, because I, I, I've had some moms say, well, I just don't get in it. And I think that's a mistake not to have a conversation. I mean, you don't have to get in it, like get in between the t- two people when they're at a particular, a certain age, but you, you do need to address it with your daughter and, or son and discuss the hurt behind it. So let's, can we address those who right now are in a state of terror? Let's talk about how for, for our friends of color, what are some ways that they can deal with just the increased anxiety, the increased turmoil? Uh, Well, I am a, um, I, to be honest with you, I self-care, I got off of Facebook. This is quite ironic because I had to get off of Facebook. I stayed off for like a year and a half. I was only supposed to take like a three month sabbatical and I didn't miss it. And I didn't miss everything that came with it. You know, the arguments and the discussions, whether it was politics. I do need to say this though. This is not a political issue. This is a humanity issue. I've heard people say this is political. It is not political at all. This is humanity. And um, a person's life should be put above all else. Uh, but anyway, I, so I, my self-care came, one, I took a break from social media, two, I, and right now I'm on a couple of days break because it's just been a firestorm. So I'm on a couple of days. Uh, then I like to pray, of course. I have uh, women in my life that I meet up with, like I said before, on Zoom, um, and we are kind of hashing it out. So people who can talk with you, who understand this uh, issue, um, in my instance, last night, my uh, female friends that I was speaking to, they are all African-American women, and um, we are all going through this in different ways, but we're all kind of going through it the same way also. Uh, Then, of course, you know, the calming. I have a I have the calm app, <laughs> so they have like calming music. They have water, nature, just to take time to breathe it out. You know, just breathe it out. But always, just if you have, please have someone to speak to. You know, people who are surrounding you, and even in a, in a this COVID time, it's a little more difficult for people who are still inside, still self quarantining. Uh, just 
make sure you're in contact with other people. Mm-hmm. When and I was pray. reminded of the other day, I was just feeling just so much anxiety. Well, and I use that word. My daughter reminded me sometimes what I call anxiety is deep emotion. And so it's, it's sorrow and anxiety and, you know, just so much kind of coupled together. And I just paused and I said, if every time I feel this, which honestly, I've been up till two 30 in the morning for the past, I'm not sleeping. Like it's just, I'm not sleeping either. Yeah. And I'm going to cry. Like I, it's not even like, I keep thinking like, if this is what I feel and I'm not directly affected, I cannot imagine what it would Mm -hmm. feel like to have this be more closely, you know, to have it hit me more closely. But I reminded myself yesterday, every time I feel a burst of, of fear or anxiety, what if I just pause to pray? Mm-hmm. Because I was spinning in my thoughts and I wasn't praying. Mm-hmm. And yet we know prayer is powerful and effective. Yes. And, and we know God is in this. God is a God of action, of, of love, and he's moving even when we don't see it. But I will say something and, and correct me if I'm wrong or if this is hurtful, Rabrina, but um, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And, and God said that to me years ago when I was in California, Southern California, and I was struggling with my marriage. And I was like praying to him, like, why don't you fix this? And this is going, and he's in my spirit, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And for my marriage, that was true that the next three years were just hard, just hard while God brought some things to the surface that in my normal day to day, I could keep shoved down. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he, he squeezed everything out and he mm-hmm. allowed me to see things and to force me to deal with things. And, and sometimes I feel like we don't see the big picture of everything that's going on. And we have to remember, we don't see what he's doing and how he's working. Mm-hmm. And so just re- pulling back to both remember he is working and also to get our, our guidance. Mm-hmm. I, I would say um, I do agree with that, but I also know that this isn't the first time. I mean, these rights, specifically racial rights, have been going on for a really long time, um, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, so what I'm encouraged by, though, is more people are willing to see it and um, their eyes are being opened more. And, and it has been a slow progression. But I, there's people around the world now who are listening and I could not believe I'm getting emotional. Hmm. When I saw people in London and in Germany and I, France, I was amazed that this man's death, George Floyd's death touched that many people um, that they, people are finally saying this is wrong and this has to stop. So Yes, this is probably the the pinnacle of what we have seen as far as um, people's reaction and really wanting to speak out against this. So I I do see the hand of God in this. Um, I do see him trying to unify uh, people. And I am praying specifically his people because I believe that we should be 
leading the charge. We should be the light of Christ. And in the instance of, we have so many instances in the Bible that talks about the oppressed and speaking for them. And uh, the parable in Luke of the good, of the good Samaritan, then the, they, the, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, but that saw him in pain and hurting and went to him and cared for him. And that is what I love to see uh, the body of Christ doing for one another. Okay. Yeah. And this, first, can I just, I'm so sorry. I, I do see your pain. And I just had this, this sense of, as you were speaking of not feeling heard, not feeling seen, mm-hmm. no child of God should ever feel that flat exactly. out. Especially in the church. Well, especially, yes. in, the, especially in the church, especially yes. in the church. Right. So yeah. I do want to, to say, I see that and that's, I'm sorry. So how can we now move forward? What are some ways we can have the courage to speak up against oppression, against abuse, against racism. How can we, as children of God, we've already Mm -hmm. established that's our command, right? Right. We are to be bearers of light and advance against darkness wherever and whenever it exists to our own harm, if if need be. Like we are Mm -hmm. to lose our life for for those who are, I mean, there are people who are losing their life. And yes. uh, but against darkness, like we are to be, act- that's why Jesus came. Right. And so, and we are his children. So how, now what do we do? Well, Proverbs 31, eight through nine tells us, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And uh, I, I think that the church does that well in some areas. And I'm not sure why this particular area seems to be um, stalled. But uh, it is an oppression. So I do think that uh, speaking up for what is right, one, if you see a person being treated unfairly or differently, speak to that. You know, uh, don't be a bystander. My my daughter says, she's 19, uh, just finished her freshman year, and she says, I, she's so amazed. She goes, I remember learning when I was in elementary school how not to be a bystander. Mm. She says, yet people by, are bystanders all the time when they see these things. And as an, as adults, they're bystanders. They just let it happen. And um, not to say that, a per, like, not to say I can't, I can't fight my own fights. It just looks different when you say it. It's not that I can't speak for myself because I have and I do. But it looks a little different. I saw a sign at one of the rallies and it said, use your privilege to dismantle the privilege. I thought that was so powerful. I was like, wow, that nails it right there. And um, first of all, we have to acknowledge we have privilege. First of all, I know people struggle with that. And, And privilege does not mean that you are a member of a country club or that you drive a Lexus or whatever. Uh, privilege is you don't have to think about certain things that I have to think about in the space of regular day-to-day life. And if you don't mind, uh, Jen, I'd like to give just a couple of examples of the ones that I was was talking about. Uh, There has been instances where people have had the police called on them for um, 
recently during COVID, the doctor who was loading tents and supplies in his car in front of his house that he was going to take to homeless people so they could be uh, tested um, for uh, COVID-19. And um, he was handcuffed and he had to call his wife and they should get the ID to prove that he lived there. That that's part of a privilege. Uh, someone waiting to meet someone in a coffee shop. We know this happened a couple of years ago, arrested for sitting there waiting for his friend to come to the coffee shop for a meeting. There was women being called the police on for golfing too slow, uh, gardening, renting an Airbnb. And of course, the, the just recently, the bird watcher who asked the lady to put her leash on her dog, he's out there bird watching. And then she calls the police on it. So it's just like those types of things, that's a privilege. You don't have to worry about anyone trying to call a police on you just for doing regular everyday things. There was a realtor showing the house that had the police called on him because he was African-American. Those are the types of privileges when we say privilege, the word privilege, that's what we're speaking of. When you're talking about all these instances, like those of us who have not experienced the abuse we need to make sure that we're we're finding ways to connect so that we can understand. Because yes. honestly, we won't understand fully. We just won't. And there's no right. way. We can have ways that God will kind of show us connections he'll make in our brain to help us understand or connections he'll make in our heart to help us understand. But we won't fully understand. But we do need to have the courage to engage in those conversations, to listen, and to say, what was your experience? Like, yes. what has your experience been? Let me, let me tell you. And then I love all the verses that you read about speaking up for really, it's, it's, you're, you're right. It's not that one person has a voice and another person doesn't have a voice. It's everybody has a voice in Christ yes. and we are all to use our voice in Christ to move against the darkness. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think you should when you when you to speak up. So don't be a bystander, and then ask your friend, "How can I help? You know, um, what can I do?" If they don't think you can do anything, that's fine. But that's a way of letting them know I care about you, and you're not in this alone. I had a text by uh, one of my friends. She was a missionary for many many years uh, overseas in the Middle East, um, and her husband is actually. Um, from Turkey. And she sent me an, a message that said, I just want you to know you are not alone in this. I am thinking about you. I am praying for you. I am praying for our country. Like I was just like, oh my gosh. And she was one of the, she was one of the first to reach out to me and say, I just want you to know I'm, I'm standing in this with you. And it, it just broke me when I, when I got that text, I just started to cry because I was just like, thank you. I'm not alone. You know, or we are not alone, you know. So um, th th I'm speaking on these things from my own personal experience. So other uh, people of color may have had different experiences. So if you have friends, um, I would encourage you to talk to them about their experiences, allow them to share their hurts and pains and be vulnerable. And to be honest, it's probably going to hurt you too. Um, and you may even feel shame um, and condemnation. But as we spoke before, that is not of Christ, convictions of Christ. So if you feel convicted, that is a good thing because it means that you're moving closer to who Christ is and what hurts his heart, you know, what grieves God. Um, so just be 
just be willing to be uncomfortable in that situation uh, with your friend. And what about teaching our kids? Yes, that's another thing. Your children are watching you. Your children are watching. I have to tell you, I went to, I want to say, I think it was in February, Ruby Bridges came to um, Nebraska to speak. Now, she was the little girl who um, desegregated the school. I think she, she was either five or six. And she went to that school all by herself every day because all the parents pulled the kids out of, their, out of the school. And uh, she was the only little girl in there. And she had, she was the only one in her class. She had one teacher and she was the only one in the classroom. And the teacher taught her every single day as if that class was full. And she uh, spoke about that. And she uh, spoke about how she really didn't know what was going on, you know, with the, because people were spitting on her. I mean, it was a horrendous thing. Well, I saw a sign that someone had held up at the, at the protest when they were protesting her going to that school. And it said, God demands segregation. And I thought, oh my goodness, that person on that side of history, what does he think now? And so, and then what are his children doing now? Uh, this African-American gentleman was waiting for his friend and he was standing outside her building because she lived in a building where you have to ring the bell and they ring you up. Well, she wasn't home yet, so he was just waiting. And a gentleman walks up to him who lived in the building and asked him what he was doing there. And he said, I'm waiting for my friend. And he kept asking him other questions. And the African-American gentleman said, I really don't need to answer your questions. And so the man said to him, uh, the white man said to him, well, I'm, I'm going to call the police. And he said, okay, do what you need to do. So he called the, he was calling the police. Meanwhile, his son, the white man's son is with him and he's begging him. You can hear him on the video saying, daddy, please don't call the police. Please, dad, don't call the police. And that struck me so much. It's like your children are watching you. And for that little boy not to want someone else to get in trouble just for waiting for his friend. Now, now the police didn't get there because while he's on the phone, the gentleman's friend comes home. And then, you know, that's how the video ends. But that just goes to show you, your kids are watching. Mm-hmm. And what side of history do you want to be on in this? And then how are you, how much of God's love are we going to display to them? Like, how are we going to love in a way that they can see God's love through us? Mm-hmm. Tony Evans gave a story. He gave he put on social media video. Well, actually, it was Priscilla Schreier where she recorded a conversation he was having with all his grandsons. And in that, he shared a mm. story of when he was driving. And I'm going to get parts of the story wrong, but he was working for a white family and I guess driving, I think, the children to school or something. I'm not exactly sure. And so it was a neighborhood that the cops thought he should not be in. And so mm-hmm. they stopped him. They pulled him over. And he was late to get to work. And so his, because he'd been with the cop, I don't remember how long he'd been with the cop while they were like, why are you here? Whatever. And so when he got to his place of employment, they were upset because he was late and he told them the story. And what struck me, here's how his, how the, the male employer responded. He called the government or he called, Mm. I don't, I mean, he called someone in, in authority 
on Tony's behalf. And so I think it's not just enough to say, so let's say if it's, if we hear, if our, if our children come home and they say, you know what, Johnny was, was bullied today and he was, you know, people were using racial slurs or, or maybe the teacher was being disrespectful and taking it a step further than just saying, yes, talk with your children. And so, you know, you need to stand up in that situation. That's absolutely important, but we can take it a step further. And this is where I am convicting myself because this is where I have not responded. I have not picked up the phone and said to the principal, did you know what's going on? I think it would have impact if those of us who saw abuse and oppression if we took it a step further and made a phone call, if it's in your neighborhood, call the homeowners association. You know, yes. who is authority? Who is in authority in that position? And I love what one thing that Rabrina did that really resonated with just as far as forward progression. You went and spoke to the school or yes. the school board, or who did you speak to? Uh, I went to the principal and talked to him, which is this principal, he. He's a principal at the school that my kids go to, uh, North Star, well, my son now. And he has always had basically an open door policy. And I've been able to go to him and speak to him about many issues that I see. Uh, I had already been contemplating talking to him about discussing race relations because um, my kids have had some experiences and so I did reach out to him and we had a Zoom call. He, he set up a Zoom call with me to discuss what my concerns were, uh, what I had in mind and that sort of thing. So I do think it's important. One, he was receptive to listen. Um, and then two, I spoke to him on my experience and what my children have experienced. And um, it has happened in our, not just in this school district, but in other school districts when teams travel, there have been incidences uh, that occurred. So yeah, it's uh, the young people. I feel like this can be a do over, you know, the young people can get a chance to completely change things, you know, from, for the future. And it is important to teach our youth that humans are humans. Humans are valuable, that everyone is made in the image of God. And um, although you can't teach that in public schools, Still, you teach humanity to care for your fellow human. Um, so, yes, I did reach out to him and um, I was receptive. I mean, he was receptive. But, yes, I think that it is important to go to systems because it is a systematic thing, meaning it's built into the systems of our country. It's woven into the fabric of our country. So please be willing to speak to the systems that use oppression to keep people of color on the fringe and be willing to take action against it and talk to the systems about how things are set up and how to set them up so that they are fair and equitable and stand up for what America says she is. Amen. Amen. Well, I wish we could actually continue talking. I think we could we could talk for five hours and not even be done. So hopefully, if we did nothing else, hopefully we encourage all of us to sit in the discomfort, to to be willing to live in the discomfort, and to be willing to listen, to be willing to have hard conversations. And, and to really, to not run from this issue or hide from it, but to have the courage to listen and to, to love 
and to speak up. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that it encouraged you. I hope it gave you some things to think about. I would love to connect with you. You can find me online or on social media. Just Google my name. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, I would encourage you to subscribe and then you will hear all of the episodes in the series. And I would love it if you would rate it. When you rate it, that helps other people to find it. And with this issue, I would, or with this episode, I would love it if you would share it with others as well. And maybe don't just share it, but also don't just share it, but how about gather some people around you and discuss it? And, and talk it, hit pause, have conversations. Did that occur to you? Is that how you feel? What's your experience? And, and use it as a discussion starter. There's also a great book, Rabrina, you, a resource that we can use. Yeah, there's several. One is written by Latasha Morrison. Uh, she has been working for racial reconciliation for many years, but that book is uh, called Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. Um, and there's another book that it's not um, a Christian writer, but it's how to be an anti-racist is what that book is called. I'm not sure if I can say the author's name. Well, and we'll put it in the show notes as well. So we'll go ahead and list in the show notes along with some discussion questions. Thanks again for listening. We were not created for fear. We were created with a sound mind. We were given the spirit of a sound mind and a spirit of courage to actively advance against darkness. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com. Or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.